Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me, sweaty and beaten down after a day of subpar golf. With me, as always, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Hola, Michael. Hola, my people. How's everyone doing? Good. Oh, Great to hear. I love watching Door the Explorer and, and giving the pause to let people respond. <laughs> that is true in like a very interesting cadence of children's shows that's got to be weird for the voice actors. Like you got to pause and lay out like you're the person up at the pulpit leading the song at church. Right. You do the look, hand gesture. Look past the fourth wall. That, but you know what? That being said, love interactive kid shows. Like Dora the Explorer's got some especially catchy ones. Like the Where Are We Going? I constantly greet with three claps in public. Ooh, almost every time I, I like, like that. if I'm ever going to a place, I will almost always lob out. Where are we going? Okay, and also the map. Ooh, yeah, the and, I mean, map and backpack. Back the backpack song goes swiper no swiping like it's all there man it's man. all there Dora wait, was wait, on wait, 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 wait. if there's a place you need to go I'm the one you need to know I'm the map I'm the map I'm the map if there's a place you need to get I can get you there I bet I'm the map <laughs> I'm the map I'm the map I'm the map I'm the map I'm and so on and so forth. So an amazing development has happened on this podcast here. And again, download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us five stars and a review. We appreciate everyone who listens. We've got a great show today where we're going to talk to Andy Staples. We're yes. going to talk to him, the Andy Staples Show podcast. You can read him at The Athletic. We're going to preview the SEC. We're doing conference previews for college football each and every week. We did the ACC last week with Roddy Jones. We got Andy Staples, proud Florida alum. We'll hear about all the SEC ties in his family and give you the 30,000-foot view of the biggest conference in college football. We'll also get to NFL divisional previews this week. But, Brandon, what I've realized is while you are terrible at normal human accents, you have displayed a gift <laughs> with cartoon accents or cartoon voices. Like when you got to get into a cartoon character's voice, like you did for the Under the Sea, This, That, and Third remix yesterday. And yes. now with this song for the map from Dora the Explorer, you're actually really good at this. Like your limited fake of cartoon characters is pretty impressive so far. I, I was telling you the reason why I don't have good accents is I don't watch enough British television. It's as simple as that. I, I mimic what I see on television verbatim, and I just need the, I just need more evidence. All right, we're going to work on getting Brandon more <laughs> British evidence so he sound, stops sounding like an Irish Jamaican pop star trying to do British accents. But oh, we're going to have to figure out more cartoons for you because they're objectively great impressions, which that was. So, Thank we, you, sir. Brandon, appreciate you indulging us off the top on there. And like I said, we're going to get to Andy, and it's a really great conversation about what to expect in the SEC, which has sort of taken a backseat news-wise to the Big Ten over the summer for all the obvious reasons about conference expansion. But remember, the SEC started that shit last year with the uh, Texas and Oklahoma acquisition that got announced surprisingly over the summer. So People don't we, forget. People don't ever. 
So we'll get to all of that, and it'll be a bunch of really quality information. The Andy Staples Show is a podcast you should absolutely check out. If you're a fan of college football and barbecue, Andy does an awesome job. Uh, So make sure you check that out. You'll enjoy this interview. But Brandon, before we get to that, impossible to ignore what's gone on in the NFL. We have talked for so long over the last year about the civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson in the allegations and accusations of sexual misconduct for him over the course of a 15-month period where he was accused by 24 women in civil court of sexual assault and sexual misconduct. We know all but one of those cases has now been settled in civil court for Deshaun Watson in the world of actual court. We know that criminal charges were not brought in this case. Those were decided to be thrown out. But Brandon, what we've got now is the NFL's investigation. We've been waiting all summer. The NFL had gone and conducted its investigation and put these put this in the hands of its independent arbitrator. So I want to try and set the table on this as best I can because I, I can't stress enough. And Brandon, you and I spent a lot of time talking about this off air, trying to kind of get our heads straight with it because We recognize this has been a long, long road full of very serious, very heavy subject matter that's been triggering for a lot of people who have been victims of sexual violence, who have had to hear and see this talked about in public about one of the most popular, the most popular league in North American sports over and over for the last year. We know it involves a lot of really serious legal information and a lot of legal words that at times feel overwhelming and complicated. And so mm-hmm. we're going to try our best to simplify this as we get to the end because all of that creates an environment where it's really easy to go numb to this and to be desensitized with this, like so many other things that we deal with in life. And I think it's important that we remember this is very serious and these allegations are really unprecedented and wild in you know the small sliver of life we occupy here covering sports especially we see unfortunately a lot of terrible things happen in this space but this is one that because of the position he plays because of the talent of this player has certainly made this an even bigger story but the sheer volume of accusations was overwhelming to so many of us as we consumed this so going to try and set the table as best we can and simplify this as best we can understanding that we we know it's a lot but man it, it, it's so important because of everything that we just mentioned so how this all works is in 2020 the NFL and the NFLPA decided to look at how they handled instances of player misconduct and they decided Roger Goodell they thought had too much power and so they wanted to put in an independent arbitrator bring in an outsider to look at these cases get eyes on this and make a decision in that agreement between the NFL and the NFLPA they both had to sign off on this because these things are collectively bargained they still have given Roger Goodell the power to come in appeal this ruling and make a final ruling on all of this that is written into the CBA for him he can still do that so remember that as a backdrop for everything that we're about to say the independent arbitrator that the NFL appointed was a former judge named Sue Robinson she took a look at the facts of this case and how they related to the NFL this is not civil court this is not criminal court this is the NFL's personal conduct policy and her going about this accordingly here and What she went about doing was interviewing, so remember again, Deshaun Watson allegedly worked with more than 60 massage therapists during a 15-month period from 2019 to 2021. He was 
sued in civil court by 24 massage therapists. Of those 24, the NFL was able to interview 12. And of those 12, the NFL relied for its conclusions on the testimony of four therapists. So with all those other numbers for the NFL, they're essentially dealing with four cases and four of the accusers that were alleging sexual misconduct by Deshaun Watson. And basically, Brandon, what this boiled down to is the NFL was had to go out here and prove, because we always hear about that too. The NFL had to prove through a preponderance of evidence, through circumstantial evidence, that Deshaun Watson violated three prongs of the NFL's personal conduct policy. And those three prongs were sexual assault. You know, the NFL has three provisions of the policy that they think he violated. Sexual assault conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person and conduct that undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. And based on based on Sue Robinson's findings, she believes the NFL provided, found and presented enough evidence to prove all of those things to the standard that she needed to be met. So just in looking at this, Everything the NFL said there, sexual assault, conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person, and conduct, you know, basically conduct detrimental to the integrity of the league that we hear all the time talked about, this protecting the shield. Right. She believes, based on the evidence provided, the NFL was able to prove all of those things. Brandon, what this essentially came down to when she ruled that Deshaun Watson would be suspended for six games this upcoming NFL season. Even though the NFL recommended that Deshaun Watson be suspended for the entire 2022 regular season and postseason and not be permitted to return unless he satisfies any conditions imposed for reinstatement. Essentially what this came down to for Sue Robinson was, Brandon, she said that in her mind, the NFL's po- uh, conduct policy relative to this is about acts of sexual violence. And she did not interpret this and what Deshaun Watson was accused of as sexual violence. And because of that, she said it'd be unprecedented to give him six games or more. She says specifically in here, and I, again, I know this is a lot of minutiae, but again, what it comes down to is her interpretation of precedent based off not viewing what Deshaun Watson was accused of as sexual violence. Because we remember, this all changed after Ray Rice for the NFL. Ray Rice got suspended two games. The video comes out of him assaulting his uh, fiance. And everyone rightly is outraged by that situation. And so the NFL reworks their conduct policy and says, all right, we're going to have a minimum of six games. Now, there was a lot of fine print on that, but essentially that's where that six-game number came in for this. But that was a policy involving criminal assault or battery, domestic violence, dating violence, child abuse, or any other forms of family violence, and sexual assault involving physical force or committed violence against someone else. Now, that's where her interpretation comes in and that's why she says it would be unprecedented in her mind to give Deshaun Watson six games that she says nonviolent sexual assault has not gotten more than around three games and yet what ends up happening I think the confusing part for me and a lot of other people Brandon was she says that and then she says with the aggravating circumstances in here of Deshaun Watson's lack of remorse in this process and his failure to notify the NFL of this in a timely manner, she then goes for a six-game suspension. So arguing precedence and then doing something that she just deemed unprecedented is where it starts to get confusing for me, Brandon. It literally says in here, it is undisputed that Mr. Watson's conduct does not fall into the category of violent conduct that would require a minimum six-game suspension. 
It is likewise undisputed that prior cases involving non-violent sexual assault have resulted in discipline far less severe than what the NFL proposes here, with the most severe penalty being a three-game suspension for a player who had been previously warned about his conduct. Brandon, they call his conduct egregious in here. She refers to Deshaun Watson's conduct as predatory. Yep. Like, all of this is in there, and then argues for precedence, and then does something unprecedented, basically acknowledging this is a situation where the volume and the circumstances around here, in her mind, warranted going past what she had seen as a three-game threshold. That's the part I can't understand in all of this. And that's why I think the NFL has the power to appeal this, and I think will. I think the NFL will appeal this, and I think Roger Goodell will try and put him down for the entire season. And the punishment in your mind is literally just so Deshaun Watson knows that he can't get away with this. I think it's about, for the NFL, Brandon, I think it's about sending a message. I think it's about the NFL and Roger Goodell in the league office now. Because again, before it was punishments handed down. Like when that happened with Ray Rice, that was a punishment handed down by Roger Goodell as the independent arbitrator. Now, if you're the NFL, you have a chance to say, no, this is not good enough based on everything we know and based on what you just said, we proved. Like we gave you the info and we proved that these things happen. And because the wording here, and that's what she falls back on, that the players need to be given a notice that this is something that they will be punished to this extent for. I still think the NFL based on, again, the words used in here, egregious, predatory, all of these things that they were able to prove, I think they'd have a real chance of being able to extend this and to punish for further on this. Because for them, I, I, while we'd all like to believe that our sports leagues are moral and would operate that way, I think for the NFL, this is a lot more and would be a lot more about them sending a message and basically saying, no, we won't tolerate this. We are going to show our fans that this kind of behavior is not viewed because we're already seeing happen, Brandon, what people are bringing up here. Calvin Ridley had a 48-team parlay or whatever the shit it was and got a season-long suspension for gambling on the sport. This is what happens, and this is Dan Levitard talks about this all the time. Once the NFL got into the business of attaching a number, a number of games for a suspension for things like this, sexual violence, sexual misconduct, you were always going to have that real uncomfortable reality that we're going to say, well, you suspend a player X amount of games for steroids. You suspend a player X amount of games for deflating footballs. You suspend a player X amount of games for gambling on the sport. But this man engages in behavior that you call predatory, egregious, agree violated all the areas you had to prove, and so much so that it mandates on the back end that the independent arbitrator recommends that Deshaun Watson, as a part of this agreement, would only be able to use the Cleveland Browns massage therapy team. Like said, that this guy, like, we need that part of the behavior corrected because we yes. have found it again, like, so egregious. So with all of all of that being in there, Brandon, that that's that's the hard part to reconcile. Is you have all of that going on, and then we get this ruling that comes down in that way. Well, the fa- the fact that he isn't being fined, the fact that, and I, and obviously you can't force someone to get better in a way, but if he is clear from sue robinson's standpoint to be a predator then the nfl who is saying are in the cleveland browns who say they want to continue to support deshaun watson at every turn how about forcing this man into some therapy my issue with this is there's there's no level of even community service there's no picking up trash 
Like the, well, there's, there's, the, there's no, and what you're looking for there is right. There's no rehabilitation. Like there's no right. correcting the behavior. And what I saw, Haley O'Shaughnessy, who has been on this podcast and, and host Spinsters, I thought spoke really well and, and sent some really well-worded messages about how none of this is prescribed to change behavior. None of this is prescribed to change right. a pattern of behavior that, again, everyone looked at in this, the independent arbitrator included, and said, yeah, this meets all of the bad standards that we had set, but because of how the wording was in the CBA, we can't punish him beyond a certain point. You're right, that still doesn't solve the rehabilitation portion of this. That doesn't change this person's behavior and prevent it again from happening in the future, save for saying, you've only got to use the massage therapist there. You can't be going out and using outside help. Yeah, it, it's it, as you've compared it and said that the stipulation that was removed from Kyler Murray's contract, like, is you can't check up on that. They just how they couldn't check up on Deshaun Watson and the nasty moves that he was allegedly making in Houston, Texas. They're not going to be able to do that in Cleveland either. And that's why this is so troubling for me. I have been desensitized, desensitized to this headline and this news only to the point where when the six-game suspension came out, it was so unbelievable and and painful, and I'm sure a lot of people were, were hurt by it. But at the end of the day, it's the the talent, the talented guy getting the a slap on the wrist to get out there and make money for the franchise, and not only the franchise, the Shield. Yeah, well, and Brandon, I think that's, again, another reason why what the NFL does, and they've got three days from the time that ruling came down to decide if the NFL is going to appeal. The NFLPA already said they're not going to appeal the suspension. I, I'm sure they're looking at this and thinking they got what they wanted out of this because, again, the NFL made it clear to these independent arbitrator they wanted a year. They wanted him out for the full 12 months here, and they walked it back down. The PA is not going to appeal this, but we'll find out if the NFL does go about appealing this, and I think a large part of it is going to go back to what you just described. When we saw the six-game suspension come down, it felt like a bit of here we go again. And again, I know people are going to do the, the innocent till proven guilty and the guilt or innocence part of this. Like All of that stuff is for a court of law. Deshaun Watson is not going to jail. He maintains his freedom. Deshaun Watson settled 23 of the 24 cases as of the recording of this podcast in civil court. So that has occurred. He's not that criminally case. charged. Yeah, like again, not going to jail. His freedom is not in jeopardy. So all, all the people talking about that. I understand you constantly bringing that up. This is about relative to the NFL's policy. And again, it goes back to this woman, this independent arbitrator's interpretation of sexual violence and how it was written to this, and then a precedent that she lays out and then seems to, unless I'm somehow misinterpreting this, and by all means, lawyers listening to this, people smarter than me, tell me if I'm interpreting this wrong, but I'm hearing her saying nonviolent sexual assault has usually not gotten a suspension of above three games. This does not rise to violent acts that we normally prescribe that six-game minimum for, so we're going to give him six games, which is over that three-game threshold for aggravating circumstances. Why does that stop then at three games? Why would that not go all the way to 12 games if you have deemed this egregious enough? So those are, those are the questions I have. And again, what you laid out about the perception of the league and the perception of how this operates and the opportunity for the NFL to end up, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying they are. 
I'm not saying they are, full stop. But the idea that the NFL and Roger Goodell could come in and look like they're the ones actually giving people what they want or what they perceive people want based on the reaction. Because make no mistake, the NFL is reading the room on this. The NFL is going to react and see how the public digests this news and then likely factor that into how they proceed going forward. And so if that's the case, like then all of a sudden they've got the opportunity to come in and say, no, we are going to do more. And then there's a whole process that comes after that that I'm sure we'll get into at some point. But uh, Brandon, I guess that's just, that's the confusing part to me is that this all comes down to, and as I've seen plenty of people, plenty of smarter people than me point out, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC defines sexual violence as sexual activity where consent is not freely given. So if we've got that in the balance on one side and then we've got this interpretation on the other i that's where the confusion comes in and this is a situation where it ultimately boils down like what do we always hear man in almost any instance we want the actions to match the words or the words to match the actions in some form of that and here the words i'm reading on this 16 page report and i it was on espn.com i saw mina kimes tweeted out you can get to it the words on the page don't seem to match the action that we got on the other side based on the tone tenor and everything that was said within this document and that's the part that is i think going to be confusing for a lot of people and i would imagine based off the reaction we see the nfl go and try and take this to the next step and i wouldn't be shocked with that and i feel like given everything that's gone on in this situation it would probably be warranted does 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 miss judge sue think that she is laying the hammer down because there in her mind there was no vi- non-violent sexual assaults like does she feel like that she is punishing him for being predatory like the those extra three games in her mind because the the unprecedented number of cases that had to be settled at this point in time like is is there is there any is there any truth or fairness to the fact that she is in her mind giving being more uh and to use her words egregious with her ruling because Deshaun Watson has done so much damage. I think there could be some of that, absolutely, where she's saying, hey, this is the precedent, and I still believe this is worth going above and beyond based on... And again, we know this case, this and what the NFL reviewed, is based off the testimony of four people that were alleged victims in this entire proceeding. It's not the 24, it's not you know over 60 and 15 months. It's about the testimony of four. So you're right, maybe that could be something that she ultimately believes in that, Brandon. And again, ultimately at the highest level, like you brought up, and I think really well in this, is any of this about actually acknowledging or changing the behavior that was, again, I can't stress enough, in the words of the independent arbitrator called predatory. Like, full stop, is any of this about curbing that outside of Deshaun Watson not being able to use or only being allowed to use the Cleveland Browns massage therapist? And if it's not, then it's again a reminder, like, we got an imperf- We have an imperfect body trying to legislate this. Like, it's, it's always going to feel like it comes up short, Brandon, because at the end of the day, it's what you described. It's the reason Cleveland signed him. 
Teams are desperate to win in this league. He's got a unique talent at the most important position. And more than likely, someone was always going to find him and get him back onto the field. The Browns did it, and they've got to be held accountable for it. And now everything we see here and here after this, including Cleveland Browns fans heard at training camp today saying, we've got your back, Watson, out there of their own free will, going out and saying that in a world where people can hear it in a way that feels wild to me. Right. Well, that's that's not my main problem with the NFL, and and obviously it makes sense that they're kind of like dipping a toe in the water and see what the re- rage and reaction is going to be because that's what everyone does at this point in time. But doesn't it feel a little nasty, like even nastier that if the cheers are loud enough, they can go ahead and pat themselves on the back and and and, and wag their finger at Deshaun Watson for for six games? Like at one point in time. Outside of trying to curb the behavior of, of Deshaun Watson or rehabilitate, what about protecting the women that he is clearly trying to? Well, and allegedly, I, I don't, I don't yeah, even know how to say it. But. Yeah, no, the the alleged victims in this, and more people that could, in, because if your thought is. If nothing stops this behavior, will more instances like this happen again? And I'm sure they would point to saying limiting his access to outside massage therapy would, I would imagine, be their version in their mind of saying, we are doing this to make sure this doesn't happen anymore. Which, again, think about the message that that sends that then goes along with the six-game suspension. Like, all of this is so interconnected with how the NFL operates and punishes everything let alone stuff of things of this severity. Like that's always going to be the complicated part. And it's why the NFL is always going to fall short on this and is always going to feel imperfect because again, for them, the goal is not to curb behavior. Like them in general as a league, their goal is to make sure this product is consumable by the most people possible and that it continues to make the most money possible. And that's where I think ultimately this is this is the interesting part from the NFL standpoint because for them, I don't expect them to make moral decisions. They are not individual people, even though we're talking about Roger Goodell here. This is an organization whose job is to win and make money and put this product out on the field, a product that is made better by the presence of quarterbacks with this guy's skill set. Full stop. Yeah. But so now it's also the NFL, and we see it all the time in the way they operate, about making this an appealing product to the broadest section of people and to the most people possible. And I don't know how, if you're Roger Goodell in the NFL, you can look at women, victims of sexual violence, human beings in general. Like You don't need to be a woman to care about the thing, these things in the way that they're talked about here. I don't know how right. you can look that section of your fan base in the eye and then claim that you're trying to make this a place that's hospitable for them. That's, I think, what's ultimately going to be the driver. Again, I don't think it's their own morality or anything like that. This is always a reaction to the public. So it's, again, I know it's a lot. I know we said we'd try and be brief and short, but it's just a really hard thing to continue to wrap our head around here because, again, now we're going to have him out at training camp like he's already been, him getting cheered, all these things that happen over and over and over again with Tyreek Hill and all these other players that have been accused of and in some cases actually held accountable for what they've done and the wrongdoings that we've seen. And then we see them cheered for these things. We see fan bases who are desperate to have their team go out here and cheer because they believe their affinity for that team supersedes anything else that we've seen come their way on that. And it's just, 
it, it, it's all so much. And so, I, you know, again, we, we've all given our reaction to this time and time again. It's just, I, I, I will be fascinated to see how the NFL proceeds going forward. But I would expect and I would believe they will try and push for the punishment that they told the arbitrator they wanted. They wanted 12 months. They wanted the regular season and the postseason. And I think that they'll go after that. So that's the latest that we've got the update on. From that, again, Sean Watson suspended six games now. The NFL's got three days to appeal, and we'll wait and see if they do just that. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, give everyone some time. You know, We'll have this all time-marked in the podcast because, again, we know this is sensitive material. This is very you know dense and heavy subject matter, and we'll make sure that that's timed out for you. And we'll give you a quick break so that when we come back, we can talk to Andy Staples, host of the Andy Staples Show podcast, and talk about the SEC and on-field football and things that are comparatively a lot less important in their nature. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends, the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help? Mm, That's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, excited to welcome, technically back to the show, Andy Staples, writes college football and barbecue over at The Athletic, host of the Andy Staples Show podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And I say return trip because when we did our 4th of July barbecue special, Andy was our barbecue correspondent for that, getting everyone right for the cookout. So, Andy, thank you for coming back and not only gracing us with your presence again on that front, but getting ready to help us preview a little Southeastern Conference football. I, I could not be more excited. I was I, That was a, a fantastic show. That 4th of July show was wonderful. But I, here's the thing. I, I am a regular listener. Uh, Mike will, will, will attest. I, I text you know every once in a while when... When I hear something, and and the 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 any given Sunday is not a great movie from a couple weeks ago. Thank you, you. It's a terrible movie. I remember watching it, going, "This sucks." And everybody's like, "But the Al Pacino speech." I'm like, "There's better coach speeches in many, many other movies." Wait a minute. Like the the Robert Loja speech in Necessary Roughness is better than that. Although Necessary Roughness is the best football movie ever made. 
Wow. All right. I, I mean, again, you know, I, you as someone who listened to that podcast, you know, I am always going to throw the program's hat in that ring. Well, of but... course, I, as someone who grew up as a, as a South Carolina fan, seeing a a movie filmed in Williams Bryce Stadium, like it just oh, it was wonderful. I like I remember my high school football team we on a Thursday after practice caravanning to the movie theater to watch the program. Man, we saw it. Nice. We saw it when they still had the scene in there where they're laying down in the street. Oh wow! Oh man, you like so you had the original recipe for loco of the program. yes, yeah. We watched it. So it came out on a Friday. We watched it the following Thursday because we had a game the Friday it came out. Wow. Also, man, Never spiritual bond as someone who watched it every every week. The night before our high school football game, me and my two best friends on the team would get together and watch that well, movie. A guy you need to have on the show. So, I, you the 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 practice montage in the program is the best representation of football ever committed to the big screen. Amen. But Varsity Blues, the football scenes in there slap too. Same guy did them. A guy named Steve Ellis, He's a former really? Appalachian State quarterback. His brother Todd was the quarterback in South Carolina. He's the one who choreographs and casts most football movies, most American football. He's branched out where they do other sports as well. But he choreographed all of the football scenes in almost every football movie you've ever loved. I believe in Again Sunday also he worked on. Damn. Wow. Wow. Deep well, cut. we won't we won't fault him for any given Sunday, which to your point is the only movie my parents have ever walked out of while seeing it in theater. <laughs> it holds that distinction, but that's incredible. I wrote down that name because you're right. Varsity Blues, I always feel like does not get enough credit for the fact that in the fourth quarter of that game, once they kicked Kilmer out of there, they basically invented the air raid. They did. They invented they invented the 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 hurry up no huddle, uh the oop de oop. You know, oh. it was way ahead of its time. But like he Steve tells great stories from, from that one. Uh okay, apparently the cast kidnapped the director and drove him around like in I, I don't know if it was in Billy Bob's pickup truck or in in, in some pickup truck, <laughs> blasting Thunderstruck to get him to include it in the movie to 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 score a scene with Thunderstruck. And then the, the one from the program that I love, so when Alvin Mack gets hurt. Mm-hmm. They had to have a way to show the prosthetic that was his mangled leg. And so they dug like a four foot deep hole on the football field at Williams Rice Stadium. And so he gets hurt. They're filming the scene. He gets hurt and basically sticks his leg down in the hole and somebody holds up the, the prosthetic leg. No. <laughs> it's all mangled. No uh, I tell you way. what, we have gotten so fat and lazy with visual effects in the like 2010s and now 2020s. I missed that like late 90s just resourcefulness you had to find in order to make a mangled leg work. I, I, I'm trying to remember because I don't want to misrepresent it, but I'm pretty sure he told me they had to dig the hole at like three in the morning because they didn't want they, they were worried that the, the people at South Carolina would get mad. Oh, could you, yeah. could you imagine digging a four-foot hole into the field of a big-time no. D1 college football school in 2022? The absolute internet message bore coup that would go on? Oh, it would be incredible. Oh, it, it would be just, amazing. Just like, but just how everything uh, for 
football hides behind the gaze of it's just football, it's football culture, it's movie culture, right? He's like, hey, we got to make a movie. You know, we, we got to dig this hole did, in the field. Did I say Steve? Mark Ellis, by the way. Mark Ellis Mark is the Ellis, gentleman's okay. name. So I'm, I'm, Steve Ellis is the former uh, Florida State beat writer for the for the Tallahassee Democrat. That's where I'm getting. But, but Mark Ellis, his brother Todd, is, is the former South Carolina quarterback who's now the voice of the Gamecocks on the radio. But yeah, Mark is uh, Mark is your guy, and you know I think you guys could get cast as as former Notre Dame football players. You could get cast as as what they call special ability extras. Now, here's your problem though: you are actually lineman sized. Mm. So, like he mm. worked on Invincible, they had to hire shorter linemen because Mark Wahlberg is short, but Mark Wahlberg is playing a six two guy, so it had to be proportional. So. They had to be four inches taller than Mark Wahlberg, essentially, because you expect a six-six lineman and a six-two receiver. So, it, you guys being actual lineman size might hurt you. Well, actually, you know, me being a true nose at six foot with no shoes on, six there foot two with cleats on, you know what I'm saying, or on turf field, I think I might be perfect. And then Mike just will just look like a, a giant. <laughs> exactly. That exactly. Is, that is true. I can finally fulfill my lifelong dream of looking like uh I don't know, like Phil Loadholt or someone on the perimeter of an offensive line. So finally I can be the big guy on the field instead of the, you know, try hard guy who's chugging weight gain shakes in between series. So this is all a great preamble into just how much more it means in the Southeastern Conference when they are willing to dig a four-foot hole in your stadium just to film, in my opinion, the greatest football movie ever made. So They, they, were, they were new to the SEC at the time, so they weren't sure yes. how much it meant yet. They, fa- they found out real quick, Yeah, as did uh, everyone this offseason. So, Andy, and for you, proud University of Florida alum, so deep roots in the Southeastern Conference. But parents I, I, met at Alabama, stepdad. Yeah, you, Stepdad went to South Carolina. Oh, yeah. Oof. I wow. mean, just tentacles all over man. the SEC. Yeah. So we've got all that as a backdrop here. And this felt like maybe the most, it just means more offseason. So before we go into what's coming up in 2022, just kind of thinking back on the last year in the SEC and this offseason, were there a couple of things that stuck out to you? I mean, you had... Georgia, obviously, with maybe the best defense that we had ever seen. Jimbo getting over on Nick Saban during the season. And then the beef that defined the offseason. So for you coming off of 2021 in this offseason, what were really the things that stuck out from the SEC? Well, Kirby Smart putting Georgia where Nick Saban always said Georgia would get if they got the right guy, which now you know they, they did. That's one. Brian Harson nearly getting, mm. you know, is cooed a word? I <laughs> there think was a coup attempt. Yeah. There was an yeah. attempted coup, and it, as Brian Harson said at, at SEC Media Days, it didn't work. Uh, but you know, it may ultimately work because it sort of kneecapped his recruiting. But you had that. Then you had the Jimbo Nick beef, which so Nick broke the the code of Omerta, and then. Everything was on the table after that. Like, gloves were off at that point. You don't do that in public. Coaches always in private. Oh, you know that guy. You know what that guy does. You know what that guy does. They don't do it in public. Now, I will say, Nick Statement is correct. He never accused anyone of doing anything against the rules. Jimbo Fisher took it that way. Yes. It certainly probably was intended that way. Yes. 
but the words were chosen in a way that yeah you weren't but you did break the code and so whatever Jimbo and Deion Sanders did after that well that, that you you made your choice so I thought that was just phenomenal and then you get into the season it's not so much who's going to win the SEC or who's going to play for the SEC title I feel like Alabama and Georgia have a prohibitive advantage in each of their divisions. But you ask who's number two in each division? I have no idea. And it gets it gets pretty thick there when, when you're going two through six in those other divisions. I think that becomes the most interesting part to me is kind of looking for, like you said, number two, but also just the bottleneck in the middle of who's going to break through over the hump. Because when you look at the way last year positioned us going into this year, obviously Texas A&M is at the front of the pile of a team that has had middling records relative to pay scale, what they're Mm -hmm. paying Jimbo Fisher, what the expectations are there. But then you look at, Kentucky, who took massive steps forward last year. You look at Tennessee, who in year one under Josh Heupel found their quarterback in the middle of the season. You look at South Carolina, who's in the feel-good mode still with Shane Beamer. And has Spencer Rattler starting at quarterback. Like If I had told you this time last year, Spencer Rattler will be South Carolina's starting quarterback in 2022, you would have had me committed. It's some Marvel what if BS that they oh, managed to pull off there. It is. It so, is. I, and, Agent Carter is now Captain Captain Britain <laughs> or Captain America or whatever you want to call it. So, so with that in mind, and, and with that sort of bottleneck of teams in there, it's hard to handicap. But if you had to pick one of those teams where you look at and say, I feel like this team's got a legitimate shot to get over whatever their perceived hump is. Because you're right. I think there's a hard cap on the top of this conference. I think this is going to be a very unfun year because Alabama looks like they might just kick everyone's teeth Death in. machine. Yes. It's, it, it's, it's terrifying. So it, we have to learn to love other things about the sport is what I said for this year. So when you look at that middle t- group of teams, is there one you think is especially ready to get over whatever their hump is? If A&M ever figures out the quarterback thing, I mean, because because roster-wise, everything else seems to be in place. They've been recruiting these like 6'1", 6'2", corners who can run. They've got those. Uh, they, they signed a bunch to D-linemen, but they also had some guys redshirting last year that they were really excited about. So I think they'll be pretty good up front. Their offensive line kind of figured things out as the as the year went on. I, I thought they got physically whipped by Arkansas early. Ooh. But then if you watch them later in the season, they they kind of gelled a little bit. Now, Kenyon Green's gone. He's a first-round pick. But that's another place where I feel like they've recruited well over the years. So what they need is a field-stretching wide receiver. They hope that the five-star freshman Evan Stewart is that guy. We'll, we'll see. But could they ever get the quarterback situation right? Because you think about it. You know, 2020, we don't we kind of throw out because it was such an aberration of a year. They were really good in 2020. Texas A&M was was excellent in 2020, but they had a fourth year starter in Kellen Mond. So you had an adequate SEC starting quarterback in his fourth year as a starter. Of course, you're going to you're going to have a little more effective offense. What if they ever have a special quarterback? That's that's mm-hmm. the thing I want to know. Haynes King, we didn't get a chance to see what he could be. He played one full game, got hurt against Colorado last year. So now he may not win the job. Max Johnson comes in. I thought Max Johnson showed a lot of promise at LSU. But when your first year is the starter, there's all this turmoil. Your coach is in the middle of getting fired. Guys are opting out. It's, it's, it's hard to judge 
how good he was or how good he could be. And then they got a, a freshman named Connor Wegman that's in the mix too. I don't know who it's going to be. Jimbo Fisher's played that really close to the vest. If I had to guess, I'd say Max Johnson. And look, if they can, if they can stretch the field, because Anaya Smith and Devon A. Chain are going to be Swiss Army knife. I, I don't even know what to call them. I, I guess I can call them running backs. Guess I can, but they're both receivers and running backs. That offense could be pretty good. So you saw them beat a, beat Alabama last year. Can they beat Alabama this year? Who knows. But will they lose to Arkansas and Mississippi State this year? That's the mm. question. Like, you get over that hump and you become that solid number two team in the West. Well, when you cycle up and have the more veteran team and Alabama has the younger team like Alabama had last year, that's when you get over on them. That is the fascinating – you mentioned one of the teams that I'm really fascinated with because you're right, Texas A&M, like – D-line and secondary depth should be a nightmare for everyone else there. Mike Elko subbing out on defense and heading over. DJ Durkin comes in, yeah. So you've got you've got a little hockey line change there, but again, talent-wise, they're just sort of in a different class. It, it really is interesting to think about in the conference where we're going to talk about a lot of the quarterbacks that are coming back in this season. You've got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young. We talked about Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. You mentioned Arkansas. They've got K.J. Jefferson, who may not be a guy that you think of climbing up draft boards, but really solid. They love oh, what yeah. he brings to that offense there. Will Rogers in Mississippi State, yep. now in year three in Mike Leach's air raid, broke basically every school single-season passing record in 2021. What can that team be in this conference as we have saw, you know, the adjustment? We had the LSU game in year one where they inexplicably played man-to-man -man and got shredded. And ever since then, everyone's kind of been brushed back by the fastball. How do you view that team with that quarterback heading into this season? So let's take a look at the, uh, the, the third-year starters under Mike Leach. Cliff Kingsbury... His, his senior year, that was one of their better Texas Tech teams. Graham Harrell, his senior year, was the best Mike Leach Texas Tech team. And they had one at Washington State uh, where they, they won nine games, and it set them up for the Gardner Minshew year the following year. And so those teams have been pretty good. He's never had this level of talent to go along with that. Now, the question is, do they have a Michael Crabtree? Do they have somebody yeah. who can take – those pat, you know, because because it's a controlled passing game. Will Rogers set a bunch of records because he threw a bunch of passes. Like mm. his his yards per attempt is not very high. The question is, can can they uh, a receiver or two break a tackle and turn that controlled five six yard pass into a twenty yard gain? What is the most famous play in the history of a Mike Leach offense? It's the Crabtree yep. catch against Texas to win the game where he catches the ball on the, on the sideline, makes a move, and scores. They need more of that. But if they have that, I don't want to play them because they don't have top end. Like, remember when Joe Moorhead got there and they had like three yeah. first rounders on defense? They had Jeffrey Simmons and, and Montez Sweat. And uh, they, had, uh, they had a safety who, who got taken the first round as well. Like, they don't have that right now. Martin Emerson is probably their best NFL prospect on defense at corner. But they have a bunch of old dudes. Like they, So they're they're an odd front. They're a 3-3-5 defense. The, the six guys that will rotate on those defensive line spots, the youngest player is a fourth-year player. 
You guys know what happens when a grown-ass 22-year-old takes on a 19-year-old, regardless of said 19-year-old's athletic ability. Mm -hmm. It's just different, man. It's just different. And, I I mean, you mentioned the scheme, too. I feel like their coordinator, Zach Arnett, on that side of the ball is going to start to get a little more buzz after the triple option of defense. Yeah. You just don't. I, I I think my dad described it best last year. Him and I were both on the call. He was doing the radio call. I was doing the TV call for NC State and Mississippi State. And he said it best. He goes, it's a bucket of minnows because you stick your hand in and they just go everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you're never quite sure. And as a former offensive lineman, shit, looking at that and what that presents to you and what you have to count for every play, when you know on the other side, when the other unit comes on the field, it's the effing Mike Leach air raid. Right. Now you've got so many variables to consider, not only if you're a player, but if you're an opposing coach trying to game plan these guys. Yeah, and and the other side of it, the the, the air raid part of it, with Will, Will Rogers being in his third year as a starter, that is so reps-based. It is That's how they practice, is rep, 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 rep. It's it's getting that unspoken communication between the quarterback and the receivers because what you're basically doing as a receiver, you have a you have an assignment on every play, but depending on how the defense plays you, your your real assignment is find green, yep. find a mm-hmm. patch of green that doesn't have anybody around it, and if you've repped it enough, the quarterback's going to know exactly where you are and when you'll be there, and so the ball will be there when you get there, and that's where it gets really scary. Looking at the install sheets for an air raid offense and just seeing the amount of arrows off of each route yeah. because it, it famously it's like a the six day install or whatever they call it there. But you're right, it, it's such a nuance based deal that it gets tough to defend once you've got people that are comfortable. Yeah, obviously. So that uh, that's the team I, I really don't. If I see them on the schedule, I do not want to play them. Like Georgia's got them this year. That might be Georgia's toughest game, other than you know if they they played. Well, if Anthony Richardson's really good at Florida, he could kind of elevate their play. But I, Florida's roster is not not there compared to Georgia. So Mississippi State might be might really be the best team they wind up playing. Uh, with the slew of teams that are just trying to get over the hump, uh, we often pull to like our own like upbringing for who we root for. My best friend growing up was a big Tennessee Vols fan. First guy who introduced me to Rudy, all that type of stuff. So I was always, I've always kind of secretly just been pulling for for Tennessee to to make that leap. They finally have a quarterback with Hendon Hooker, mm-hmm. but what other piece? Like you said, uh, Mike Leach needs a, a Michael Crabtree uh, for Tennessee. What's one player on offense outside of Hendon Hooker that can make or break their season? Well, I mean, Cedric Tillman had a breakout year last year. And, and can he do that again? I can't remember exactly how. I think he went, I want to say he had eight catches in three seasons going into to last year. And, and I remember talking to Hinton and Hooker about this in the spring. I said, what did you see when you got there from, from Cedric Tillman? He's like, I couldn't believe that he hadn't blown up yet. Like, I, I saw this big guy with body control, and, and he was just, he was tremendous. So I, I just, I think, Continue to to feed him and let him be the guy that that is your most reliable receiver. Now they have a guy, and mostly I just because of his name, I want him to succeed because I feel like this this name will go down in SEC lore if he winds up being good. But they have a freshman slot guy named Squirrel White. Oh yes, and he's also going to return kicks. Please oh. Jesus. 
I Come wanted to see like a little, you know, little middle screen type dump off to this guy that turns into 55 yard touchdowns. Like make that happen because I love it. this is the best nickname in the SEC since Porkchop Womack. Oh, oh you're right. Well, I mean, in that offense, I mean, you look at because we mentioned Cedric, but Bayless Jones last year and what mm-hmm. he meant to that team was yep. sort of that punt returner, get the ball in his hands, let him create and with how often they like to get the ball out quick there, I feel like we got a good chance for Squirrel. Yeah, now, like now here's here's the thing about Tennessee, and this is why they're going to be must-see TV, but their fans are going to have heart attacks every game. I don't know what they're going to be defensively. I don't, I don't think they're going to be a dominant defense. I think they're going to have to outscore teams. Mm. And so you're going to see some track meets involving Tennessee. And if you have no rooting interest, that's going to be a blast to watch. If you are a Tennessee fan, you are going to be just dying inside <laughs> as you as you watch these these forty nine to forty eight games. Well, it's a it's a team that like statistically, when you looked at them from last year, and I saw a couple of these in the Athlon preview mag. They set all these program records on offense. Obviously, they gave up the most sacks of anyone in the SEC with 44. On defense, they had 102 tackles for loss, which was a school record, yep. but they were last in the SEC in third down percentage. Everything is boom and bust. It's all Always so has been volatile. It feels like. No, well, no, I mean, the Fulmer teams weren't like that. The and then the Fulmer okay, teams had yeah. better players than almost everybody they played. Yeah, it, it was yeah. when they played Florida or somebody like that that, that – it, it became a little bit more of an even matchup, but they could play kind of ball control. They could, you know, they John Henderson and, and right. Albert Hainsworth on the same D line. Like that's not yeah, even man, fair. So, but, uh, but yeah, I, this is, this is an interesting year for them. So Tennessee and South Carolina. Yeah. I feel like both of them overachieved last year. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember I was in Knoxville in the spring and they were and, and the coaching staff, a lot of the guys were saying, you know, ball bounces a couple different ways. We're we're sitting on a nine win season last year. I'm like, you better thank God you didn't win nine games last year because yeah. they would have wanted you to win eleven this year. Like, Ooh, if you yeah. can point. win one more than last year, you're you're doing all right. the The problem will be is if because you can actually be better, especially and this is this is true for the the teams in the SEC West as well. You could be better, and your record isn't going to show it mm. because that middle is is fairly deep. And and you can't. Not everybody can win every game. Like Florida really needs Billy Napier to win in his first year. Uh, South Carolina really needs to to make an improvement with Spencer Rattler and, and under Shane Beamer in their second year. Tennessee really needs to improve. Kentucky has been the most consistent underneath Georgia for the last three years. They've got Will Levis, who's getting all this first round draft hype. They need to get better. Like you can't all win. They got to play each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the Will Levis conversation is fascinating to me because mm-hmm. I feel like Kentucky had this resurgent season where offensively they exploded in a way we haven't seen around there. A lot of that in the past few years was injury before that. We know what they were driven to and how they had to Lynn kind of Bowden running the, the option. The, the MacGyvering at quarterback. The Lynn Bowden season will always be so special because he was just a gem of a of a player and an athlete and all those things. And that's kind of how Will Levis started off. You come over from Penn State, he's this banana-biting, mayo-chugging psychopath. And <laughs> with Liam Cohen, their offensive coordinator, he starts to become this quarterback over the course of the 2021 season. Liam Cohen now heads back to Los Angeles, which I don't think we can overstate 
how important that loss is. I remember I called their game against Vanderbilt, and I'm on the plane back to Connecticut, and he is from Connecticut. His parents mm-hmm. were in the row right across oh, from me, wow. and I was and I was sitting there. You got you. You guys will appreciate this. I was a psycho going back on a Sunday morning flight, and I was like, I haven't watched enough Coastal Carolina this year, so let me pull them up and just see what's going on. My favorite little sawed-off shotgun offensive lineman on planet Earth. And oh, the, the uh, center, Will's, Sam Thompson, the greatest, oh, he's, the, the greatest five nine center to ever play college football. <laughs> oh An God. absolute hero who has my sword and shield forever. And so, Will's dad, being a man of great taste, sees this and just kind of taps my shoulder and you know, kind of asks what I does. And we end up talking about it. And I asked him, you know, what's what's Will's experience been like this year? And they both said how much they loved Liam, how much his relationship with Will had been huge and pivotal for him and his development in that season so uh, what is your thought on Kentucky especially on offense heading into this year because I feel like with him and Wandell Robinson that took that team offensively Mm -hmm. to a dynamic place they haven't lived well it's interesting because I had a reader write into to me at the athletic and and for my mailbag column and said have you noticed that Will Levis's numbers and Emory Jones numbers were basically the same last year and Will Levis is getting first round hype and Emory Jones got chased out of Florida. And now he's Arizona state starting quarterback. Wow. And so I, I broke it down and they were not very similar. They were nearly identical. Wow. And I, I thought that was very interesting. And obviously Will Levis is getting this hype because of the tools. He's six, yes. four, he's two thirty. He has a, a cannon for an arm. He's very fast. It, it, he and Anthony Richardson are actually very similar physically and, that's uh, I, I took issue with the guy saying Florida, like the guy had said Florida fans ran off Emory Jones. I'm like, no, no, Anthony Richardson ran off Emory Jones mm. for the same reason, and, and he's getting hype for the same reasons that Will Levis is getting draft hype. Is you don't build people like that. human beings don't usually come like that. So now the, <laughs> the, the the Will Levis thing, the offensive coordinator thing. So Cohen goes back to the Rams. They bring in Rich Scangarello from the 49ers. So you go from a, a McVay guy to a Kyle Shanahan guy. And McVay and Kyle Shanahan are both Mike Shanahan guys. So you're really not changing the offensive tree that much. It's it, it it's funny. It's it's essentially putting Will Levis in yet another trendy NFL offense, yeah. which makes him even more tantalizing to NFL Ooh. teams. But you mentioned Wondell Robbins. That's the, that's the one for me. You got to find a way to replace him. And I, I go back to that Florida game. There's a little dump off. 41 yards later, he's in the end zone. He did all the work on that. And he did all the work on a lot of things because he was he was pretty spectacular. So does Kentucky have somebody like that? Now, here's what makes it interesting. You can find that person because you have a good offensive line. And Chris Rodriguez gained 6.1 yards of carry. Yes, that is quite a safety blanket if you are trying to get your passing game going, because listen, you're going to have to put a bunch of guys in the box unless you're Alabama and you just have a bunch of freaks like you're going to have to put eight guys in the box and it's going to give Will Levis a chance at some one on one matchups to take advantage of. So that's exciting to look at with that team. Tavion Robinson transfers in. Javon Baker. Tavion Robinson's the one I think they hope will be the guy yeah. who who takes. And and look, Wandale's numbers at Nebraska were not set the world on fire. You knew he was athletic. You knew he was good. But he needed to get into a better situation to, to really show it. And he did. So maybe Tavion Robinson, who was playing in an offense that where the coach 
got fired last year. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's going to be a little bit better. But so isn't that the problem with isn't that the problem of uh, programs like Kentucky and the SEC is like these players come a dime a dozen or uh, once in a draft class or not not draft class but like once in a recruiting class like every four years like there was a big lull after Randall Cobb left uh, for the Wildcats. <laughs> well, Kentucky, you know what I mean? So Kentucky's interesting. So Mark Stoops, I, I think Mark Stoops is one of the best coaches in America. I always say on my podcast that he has the best job in America because Ooh, yes. they'll keep paying you because Kentucky has as much money as anybody else. Right. So they'll keep paying you, but you'll never be expected to win 10 games like you would at Georgia or Alabama or Florida or LSU. And, but he had a brilliant idea when he got the job. He said, I'm going to go into Ohio, which is my home state. He's from Youngstown. Yep. I'm going to go into Ohio, which by the way, if you don't know your geography, like Lexington is an hour and a half from Cincinnati. We're not talking about going very far. So you go to Ohio, you say, okay, Ohio State doesn't want you. How about come play in the SEC? And it turned out to be a pretty nice pitch. Now, since Luke Fickle's been at Cincinnati, it's been a little, yeah. little tougher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he's still getting those guys. And those are guys that normally would have gone to Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State. And they're coming to Kentucky. And if you look at the, the quality of recruit he's gotten over the years – who they beat out for them has gotten considerably better as the years have gone on. So they have raised the talent level at Kentucky considerably. It, it used to be that they had to find the Benny Snell or the Josh Allen that nobody else wanted. Now they can go in there and, and fight against other good programs that want somebody. And, and sometimes they win. So that part I, I'm kind of excited to see because they have raised the baseline talent level. So I'm not sure Kentucky needs those years in between good teams anymore. I think they might be able to to do it year in, year out now. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation you can decide right now and if you're new to DraftKings you can also check this out new customers can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Gojo that's code Gojo for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit www.1800gambler.net in New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So let's go from Mark Stoops, who I'm with you, one of the more underrated coaches consistently in college football, to then what we're looking at as far as the newcomers in the SEC, because a light year as far as coaching turnover. In There's this one conference. you guys know really well. Yeah, no, I've heard of uh, I heard of this guy a little bit here, and I think that's fascinating to look at how both of these coaches came to the job, right? Because 
You got Billy Napier in year one at Florida and obviously Brian Kelly at LSU. Brian, the all-time winningest coach at me and Brandon's alma mater, leaves in one of the more shocking fashions of any coaching move in an offseason that was full of insane coaching moves. And then you've got Billy Napier, who's been the group of five name of choice for a while now, who's been able to kind of patiently sit around at Louisiana and wait for a job like this to open up and capitalize on it there. So Anthony Richardson, who you mentioned, all the factors involved here, which of these guys do you think can actually have the success he needs in year one? Well, uh, LSU had a lot better roster than Florida. Like there's no Kayshawn Boutte sitting on Florida's roster. Yeah. There's no Mason Smith sitting on Florida's roster. And so it's a, it's, it's sort of the arrested development thing. There's always money in the banana stand. Like there's always players at LSU. <laughs> it, it, it is. And, and LSU, it's interesting because Notre Dame, I feel like is one of the, the few programs that still kind of recruits itself. There are people who want to go play for Notre Dame to play for Notre Dame. Uh, I will never forget when Lewis Nix committed to Notre Dame when Notre Dame didn't even have a coach yeah. because he wanted to play for Notre Dame. And LSU's like that for people in Louisiana. Like they, they want to, there's still a bunch of people who their dream is to play for LSU. And, and in other states, it's just not like that. Like in Florida, it used to be everybody wanted to play for one of the big three for Florida, Florida State, Miami. They don't care now. Like if Alabama comes in, hell yeah, I'm going to Alabama. Like LSU's still a little bit different in, in that respect. And so there's a bunch of players at LSU. And look, Ed Orgeron was a fantastic recruiter. So Brian Kelly takes over a lot of talent. It's not perfect talent because there was a lot of turmoil. They did lose things. He had to kind of spot recruit through the portal to try to plug some holes. But from a top-end talent standpoint, they've got guys that could play at Alabama. They've got guys that could play at Georgia. Not many other schools in America could say that. And that's, that's who he's why going for. Brian made the move. Yeah. Like yeah. this is he's he stated as much. And I know there's been a lot of discomfort around the Notre Dame faction and him being as forthright with that. But as soon as he made the move, I said, well, yeah, he's looking for a place that still recruits even at a different level than Notre Dame based on the talent around there and what you can pull off with that, Brandon. Well, well exactly. And you're not you're not having to find the people who can stay eligible at Notre Dame. And, True. and you know, because everybody's like, oh, it's the it's the academic standards. Notre Dame does have higher academic standards. But as you guys know, the life of a football player at Notre Dame is different than the life of a football player at Ohio State or at LSU. Yeah. And judging by how, you know, BK was pushing various buttons at Notre Dame, it's clear he was trying to get Notre Dame closer to that. And Notre Dame didn't necessarily want to go there. He's going to get that at LSU. Right. And in a lot of say, instances already has it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say as much as he's been ma getting made fun of on the internet and like people are like, Oh, Brian Kelly's going through it, especially with Marcus Freeman being praised and all the way he is. I was like, trust me, he's fine. His, his little stature is looking up at his Greek gods for the next four years. And he, he's very, very excited about his chance. Now, B uh, BK would not have handled uh, Golik's uh, Ken Jong impression nearly as well as Marcus <laughs> Freeman did. Definitely. I, I will say the act he didn't flinch. There was no flinch in Marcus Freeman when the caca came out, which was damn impressive for a head coach. Damn it. But and but with that, like that kind of goes to on the other side, the culture fit thing. Do you buy into any of that with Brian no, going down? They just there? fired the guy who's the greatest cultural fit in the history of football. 
Right. Who fits better culturally than Ed Orgeron <laughs> at LSU? No and he won a national title and they fired him anyway. None of the, the fit stuff is complete BS. Like you fit if you win to the satisfaction of your employer. That's that's how you fit. Perfect segue into hot seat talk because this is like we said. Two coaching turnovers in the SEC feels like a light year because yeah. usually this is the conference where the standard of Alabama and Georgia usually drives a lot of other people to do some insane things. And we mentioned some of it this offseason. I, I want to look at Auburn that we talked about, and I don't know if you can throw Mizzou in there. I don't know what they would do with Eli Drinkwitz. Oh, if I, I think things get hot for Eli if he doesn't have a good season, which to me – I still don't think Missouri's administration. I realize, and I realize they've gone through different changes at Chancellor and and at athletic director, but it feels to me like they have not yet grasped that Gary Pinkle was a very special coach, and that what he got, the results he got, were abnormal for that program. And so I thought, I thought they went that they moved on Barry Odom faster than they should have. If they wind up moving on Eli Drinkwitz, it's probably faster than they should have. Like they need to understand it's hard to win there. And just because Gary Pinkle did it doesn't mean anybody can come in and do it. I'd agree with that relative to the standard there. So I, I think you're right. Auburn's about that a different one. animal. Yeah. I want to get because this is really, other than that, like looking around the SEC, if Jimbo goes eight and four again, he's not going to be on a real hot seat, but it's going to feel shitty and uncomfortable mm -hmm. there. But we all kind of understand next year might really be the yeah. year where and, that death weapon they've, loads they've up. Basically, contractually made it where unless he gets arrested, like he ain't getting fired. No. So you can you can actually feel kind of comfortable if you're Texas A&M's administration. If he goes eight and four, you're not going to get pressured to fire him because you're not you're not you've just made it impossible to do. Auburn, man, that is a strange situation. And I listen. So we have to go back to the firing of Gus Malzahn. Yeah. There was a faction when Gus Malzahn was fired who just assumed that they were going to install Kevin Steele, who was Malzahn's defensive coordinator, as head coach. They were rebuffed, essentially. And Alan Green, the athletic director, took over the, the coaching search, which at any other place, we're like, oh, the AD's hiring a coach. What, what a novel kind. <laughs> like, that's what they do, but not at Auburn. So he, he takes over the coaching search. Now, I will profess some support of Brian Harson in a minute, but let me let me first start with where Alan Green, who by the way, Notre Dame guy, uh, who who may not have his contract renewed. Uh, it is coming up early next year. My guess is it will not be renewed. And at some point, he's talking to Brian Harson, and Brian Harson says, and, and I don't, this is not exactly what he said, but I will I will paraphrase. I'm going to out-evaluate and out-develop Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, who I have to play every year. Don't worry about getting all those five stars. That's a, we, we didn't need to do that at Boise State. And Alan Green's like, okay, sounds good. You're hired. Like, no! Bad idea! Terrible idea! <laughs> First of all, oh. Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are excellent evaluators, <laughs> excellent developers. Jordan Davis was a three-star. Let's not oh. forget. Oh, man. <laughs> oh man. Nobody was recruiting Josh Jacobs till Alabama offered him. Like they're 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 also better at that than you. That's that's the part people forget. 
Yes, they get the five stars as well, but they're also better at that. And if you're the coach at Auburn, you have to be at least trying to compete with Alabama and Georgia on the recruiting trail. And they didn't even try. And so that's what pissed off that faction. And that's why they tried to, to get him fired. And the thing is, the way they tried to get him fired was, was despicable. Like they, they got him investigated for his coaching style. They found nothing because there was nothing to find, but they were trying to, to fire him without paying him $18.7 million. And then they sprinkled in like some salacious rumors about him and his family and all that stuff. Like it was terrible. So like part of me wants Brian Harson to go 12 and 0 just to stick it, just like double middle finger these people. But I also understand, listen, listen to the list of coaches that he's going against this year, that, that he's up against where, by the way, their recruiting has already been kneecapped by the attempted coup. So oh, yeah, that's... you will not have a recruiting class that you can say, that's the reason you should keep me. So mm. you, you got to do it on record alone. So here's who you got to play against. James Franklin, Jimbo Fisher, mm. Lane Kiffin. Sam Pittman, Mike Leach, Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban. Oh, and Brian Kelly. I was going to say, throw Brian Kelly. Yeah, just sprinkle that in there. I mean, so it seems like a nearly impossible task. Like, the writing seems to all be on the wall here. It's just a matter of when over the course of that gauntlet of a schedule will this happen in the middle of the I season. I think the hope is he overachieves and that inspires somebody to hire him elsewhere mm. i mean i wouldn't want to stick around if i were him i i think the, the everything that happened was completely despicable i wouldn't want to be there any any longer than i had to now he tried to get the washington job this year he didn't get it so i i would i would try to leave if i were him but it may be that they just have to move on him and they're gonna have to pay him and I think I think they are now looking back at firing Gus Malzahn and paying him twenty point five million dollars to 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 go live in Orlando and live his best life. I, I I don't I think they're realizing that was a mistake. But look, Auburn's a tough job. You play Alabama and Georgia every year. That is not going to change. The SEC is going to change the way it schedules. You're still going to have to play Alabama and Georgia every year if you're the Auburn coach. So you got you you got to understand that. And you have to understand that you have to try against those schools in recruiting. And Brian Harson didn't at first. I think it was pressed upon him that maybe you should. And we'll see. But it, again, it's too late because they've already poisoned the well, the, the, the people who try to get him fired. So it's just a, it's a terrible situation. I feel awful for the players. I feel bad for the, for the 99% of Auburn fans who can't write a check and, and have a say. Like, they don't deserve this. So I hope for those players' sake that they do have a, a, a good, fun year, win some games they're not supposed to win, and do kind of you know throw the middle finger at the people that, that screwed this up for them. I will say winning games you're not supposed to win is the true Auburn way. They are the pit of the Southeastern Conference, which means they are a dangerous super weapon that anytime you think you've potentially got one over on, I assure you, they're somewhere lurking, waiting to ruin your life. Um, you mentioned the players. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, kind of the big picture ones. And I mean, God, you know, we've sort of ignored Alabama and Georgia because, like you said, it's a bit unfun. Georgia's coming off of maybe the greatest defense we've seen in college football history. Alabama has 
the Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young on one side and Will Anderson, who probably should have been getting a lot of those Heisman votes that went up to Ann Arbor he last was number year. number one on my ballot. Deservedly wow. so, and it's going to be number one on a lot of draft boards and is opposite a guy in Dallas Turner who people think is getting ready to explode in a similar way. So there's a lot of unfair talent stocked in the cupboards of those top programs is there a player you look out at the SEC right now that you think maybe isn't getting talked about enough, a guy that you are looking forward to watching this year that most people aren't giving the love to? Well, I think Brock Bowers gets a lot of love, but knowing mm -hmm. he's going to be the focal point of Georgia's passing game, I think is is very interesting because they've got uh, they've got Washington and they've got Eric Gilbert as well. Eric Gilbert was a, you know the LSU transfer. There may be times when they have three three tight ends on the field, and they're doing some crazy things with them. And I, I'm very excited to see that. Now, here's a stat about Georgia that, that blows my mind. Do you know how many transfers they took this year? I don't. Really? Zero. Hmm. You know what that means, right? They think everybody they got is better than everybody that was available. So... We can assume because they lost 15 guys to the draft that they're going to they're going to fall back. But that may not be true. You know, it, it, it may be that you cut off one head and nine more grow back. Now, Jalen Carter, that's your other, you know, top. Will Anderson is, is one of those guys, but Jalen Carter is the other kind of top five. We know where he's going to be in the draft. Somebody's going to take a quarterback, but then Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are going to go. And what what they can do with him in terms of moving him around that defensive line, it's it's nasty. Because so Alabama will be great because you can't slide your protection to Will Anderson or to Dallas Turner. You're just screwed. But Georgia is just to be dropping Jalen Carter in various spots and 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 making your life miserable. Yeah, like you said, it's awful when the coaches who also provide a decided schematic advantage also have players that if you were to pop them on any defense in the conference would immediately be a matchup problem that bends your offense. Yes, it it, it is crazy. And, and so Georgia, you look at the way Kirby's recruited. I think when they finally took over the number one recruiting spot from Alabama, I, those guys are now coming of age. Most of those guys no. haven't gotten to play that much yet. No, it's... It's terrifying. I mean, linebackers, the one spot you maybe have questions about on that defense just because they hockey line yeah. change basically the whole group in the middle there. But I, I don't worry too much about them. I mean, Jameer Gibbs coming over to Alabama that's, from Georgia that, Tech. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that one slipped my mind. But that's going to be – that may be the most impactful transfer uh, of the season. Jameer Gibbs could have gone to Alabama out of high school. He chose Georgia Tech, wanted to stay close to home. Obviously, things aren't going well at Georgia Tech. There may be a regime change there in the offing. But what he can do catching the ball out of the backfield, it's very, you know, very Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs kind of situation. Yep. They did okay at Alabama, too. They they did they do that okay around there. I, I do before, before we yeah, go on. I, I was gonna before we completely get off Alabama, I want to know realistically, you say he was number one in your ballot, but how close is he to or what type of season will he have to have? to finally get this defensive player to get the Heisman back. I mean, if he has a better season than last season, I can't, I don't even know how you do that, but if he does, you got to give it to him. Like that's more dominant than, than in Dominican Sue's 2009. It's up there with any Derek Thomas season at Alabama. Like the, those Aaron, Don, like 
Aaron Donald was one that we also slept on in terms of just sheer dominance. Like when I knew Aaron Donald was truly special, they played Georgia Tech and lost. But he had, I want to say, six tackles for loss against a triple option team. Mm. How do you even do that? The entire offense is designed to never lose a yard. Oh, yeah, that's... Listen, so I said my, my greatest career accomplishment is still not ending up on Aaron Donald's draft day highlight reel. I will take that with me <laughs> to my grave. Um, in my haste to get to players, I neglected one team that I do want to get to before we look at some of the ske- games on the schedule in and out of conference, because I think there's a couple of beauties in here. Andy, what do we do with Ole Miss this year? Because you want to talk about hockey line changing. Mm-hmm. They lost, I, I, so I wrote it down here, they lost over 2,500 rushing yards between three running backs and their quarterback, Matt Corral. They lost 1,577 yards receiving and 12 touchdowns when uh, when Dylan Drummer and ba- uh, Braylon Sanders both left here. They've got Jeff Levy, their offensive coordinator, who now lives in Oklahoma. They bring in Charlie Weiss Jr., which very excited for him. Yep. Everything going on at USF was going to be kind of tough to overcome. Really excited to see Charlie Jr., who I've known since he was a little kid because Coach Weiss was the one that recruited us at Notre Dame. Excited to watch what he can do with that one on defense. You mentioned DJ Durkin also heads to Texas A&M. You've got, ironically, the Notre Dame of 2008 making their presence very felt. Maurice Crum Jr. comes over from Western Kentucky and takes over as co-DC, was our captain our freshman year on defense. One of the most impactful leaders I've ever been around. So from a defensible human being standpoint, a massive upgrade in that regard. But what do we do with them this year? They bring, you know, they bring in yet another one of the uh, former USC quarterbacks shooting out into the Jackson ether in Jackson yep. Dart. What is Ole Miss in twenty twenty two? We don't know. We don't. This it's an exper- It's a grand experiment. Can you stay good in the SEC through the transfer portal? That is, it's it's not really been tried before because the rules didn't allow for it. And now we're going to see how it works. Now, I mentioned that Jameer Gibbs may be the most impactful transfer this year. Zach Evans may be another one. Mm. Zach Evans, five-star running back, went to TCU, flashed, but had some had some injuries. Lane, when he finds a guy, he's going to ride him. And, you know, it, he loves that. In that offense, he loves the free six yards you can get after you after you have a big pass play. You're going to see Zach Evans take advantage of that quite a bit. I don't know who the quarterback, whether it's going to be Jackson Dart or Luke Altmyer, who was yeah. already on the roster. We saw him replace Matt Corral in the Sugar Bowl. That That's still up in the air. But honestly, no one knows what Ole Miss is going to be. I don't think Ole Miss's coaches know what Ole Miss is going to be because they've had him for spring, but they've really, I mean, 15 practices in. This is a this is an entirely different team. Does Lane Kiffin know about any of his teams going into the season? I feel like this is like normal. I mean, maybe that's the way to do it, Brandon. I I think back to 2020 when he didn't have an option. There was no spring practice. Everything was new to him. And I remember I texted him early in the season. I was like, how in the world did you teach these guys to move so fast on offense and change formations without changing personnel? You didn't even practice. How did you do this? And he's like, well, it's it's what we do. So I mean, that that's that's the thing. I he's pretty good at this. So if anybody can pull this off, it's him. But it is that's a tough tough ask because 
you just don't know how your chemistry is going to work out. How do you establish a culture when, when you're constantly bringing in new people? For a team that won 10 wins in the first time in program history last year, we talk about the level being raised and the excitement around Oxford. Uh, Lane Kiffin, college football's favorite shit stirrer, the guy that lived to poke the barrel offseason and was maybe the most honest speaker about NIL before Nick Saban decided to get up at the Rotary Club dinner. Uh, it's going to be a blast to watch. So, uh, Andy, before we get you out here, and we appreciate all the time on this one, I do want to look at some of the menu items schedule-wise. And I'll give you – I want to go out of conference first because I think in conference, and you can correct me if I'm wrong – I don't think there's a game I am more excited about, the general public is more excited about, than October 8th when Texas A&M oh, yeah. goes to Alabama. It feels like that game is the culmination of the offseason. So, I, I, at a conference, is there a game that sticks out for you? We got a lot of really good early ones, but I want to give you the freedom. Oregon, on Georgia, and Atlanta. Uh, I'm very excited about because Dan Lanning was Georgia's defensive coordinator last year. If anybody knows the the people that Georgia will wind up starting on defense this year, it's him. And he takes over a roster that Mario Cristobal thought was going to be his best Oregon roster. So wow. this is a, they feel like they've got a really good offensive line in Oregon. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the, what the quarterback situation it looks like. It's going to be Bo Nix. Who's he's got some experience playing Georgia too. So I'm excited to see that game. I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's be a good test for Georgia because that's a lot of talent on that Oregon roster. This is, you know, those guys went and beat Ohio State and Columbus last year. So if you're going to start off with an interesting game, I, I think that's the way to do it. Miami, Texas A&M is a good one. I think you get Chris, Chris Ball again. Now he's at Miami, but they got a quarterback in Van Dyke and like Texas A&M, if they have a quarterback, they're fine. But what if they don't like, where does that go? Because Miami, Miami's going to be a tough out with, with Van Dyke at quarterback. So I think that one will be fun. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be LSU, LSU, Florida State will be interesting because Florida State, ooh. not a lot of stars on that roster, but did play better for Mike Norvell as the season went on last year. Like it could have completely fallen apart. And they kept that team together, got better as the season went on. Didn't really lose a ton of guys. And so you have an LSU team that you don't really know where everything is. And Florida State's got a week zero kind of warm-up game before that. So that's one of those where Brian Kelly will get tested immediately. We don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. So are they going to be playing two, three quarterbacks in that game? Probably two would be my guess if they're, if they're going to do that. But is it going to be like a Deshaun Kaiser, Malik Zaire situation? Which Oh, my well, God. And let me tell you, great, there, is, there is nothing Brian Kelly loves more than a quarterback competition or rolling multiple guys through in there. Andy, right. I think it's even more intriguing in that game because, remember, it was week one of last year on a Sunday where Notre Dame almost lost to Florida State mm -hmm. in overtime in yep. that first mm -hmm. rattle out of the box on the season. So, Brian, very familiar with this opponent this weekend in this particular setting. Going to be really interesting. I will say there's two games that jumped out to me that I couldn't believe we weren't talking about more over. And part of this is the offseason's been so conference realignment focused. Alabama plays fucking Texas this year. Yeah. Like, as far as a helmet game, week two, Alabama-Texas is a pretty incredible it's, it's one. It's a great helmet game, but it's a, it's a, it's also a, here's here's why Texas is, is where Texas is, and here's why Alabama is where Alabama is. Alabama should dominate that game in the trenches. Yes. Now, Texas has some great skill talent. Like, Texas is super deep at running back. B. John Robinson 
he would start anywhere in the country. They're very deep at receiver, but offensive line, they might be relying on a couple of freshmen to play. Like you're going to put them in against the monsters that Alabama is going to throw at you. I, I don't, I'm, I'm scared for that. I agree. It's going to be very unfun. It just, I was amazed that like a brand matchup of that size had gone largely untalked about. And I get why. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I will say my other favorite that I actually think is going to be a super fascinating game. Arkansas versus Cincinnati week one. Mm -hmm. Because Cincinnati losing Desmond Ritter, who had been the quarterback that defined a team that broke the group of five ceiling last year. Luke Fickle sticks around there. We know they're destined for the Big 12. What does that look like against Sam Pittman's Arkansas that kind of knows its identity on both sides of the ball a lot more? I think it's going to be a really good test for, for Luke Fickle. How do you reload? You know, Obviously, he upgraded the recruiting at Cincinnati significantly. We're going to find out just how much because Arkansas has really good players. I, I remember when Sam Pittman took the job. You know, Chad Morris didn't win an SEC game in his time there. But Pittman was like, no, 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 trust me, there's players here. And so this is this is a case where Arkansas will come in very talented and, and like you said, very much understanding what it is on both sides of the ball. I think Luke Fickle knows how to teach that identity. But the question is, are, are the players they've recruited good enough to immediately be that right away? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Now, Arkansas's non-conference schedule, yikes. Because they got that Cincinnati game. Missouri State sounds like a super easy game. Oh, yeah. Bobby Petrino coming back to Fayetteville. How about that? <laughs> wow. Then they're, they're also at BYU in the middle of October. Wow. And then they got Liberty coming in, which yep. is not a, an easy game any for anybody. So, like, yeah, poor Sam Pittman. As good as he's been... It, the, and I think this is probably the the former AD Jeff Long, who you know has is long gone at this point. He's he's already been fired from Kansas since then. But I think some of these games were scheduled back then, and and Sam Pittman's like, what what did I do to deserve this? I just want to go the SEC West as well. I just want to go bowling in the locker room. Put that damn jukebox on for God's sake. Right. We want to hear more of the jukebox. The scheduling note I am happiest for for any team in the country is that Vanderbilt gets to go play at Hawaii in week zero. Like, oh, it's going to be ooh. another long year for Vandy. At the very least, they get a trip to Hawaii. Out That's exactly right. And this one, McClarkley got there. You guys know him. He was at Notre Dame. Uh, he spent like two months teaching him how to stretch. Uh, they still they still <laughs> got a lot to work on. But yes, at least you get the trip to Hawaii to, to start things out. Yeah. Now, we'll see how that goes because... Hawaii always chucks it around the yard, but it, I, I am excited for them to to start out that way because once they get into the SEC schedule, whoo, not cute. Well, I, I I took my fifth year at Ball State, so I got a little little matching here. Tennessee starts off as their little week zero September first. 
Uh, I'm excited because our former teammate, Tyler Stockton, young defensive coordinator at Ball State, anytime those Mac guys get a chance to get some tape out there against oh, yeah. the SEC team, as 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 abysmal as it gets second quarter on, it's it's good. It's good to get to have that feel. Well, right so Tennessee plays Pitt again this year. Now, Tennessee yes, probably yes. should have beaten Pitt last year. Had a Hinton Hooker started the game instead of Joe Milton, I think Tennessee might have beaten Pitt last year. But if Tennessee can go beat Pitt, Tennessee will probably be undefeated when Florida comes to town. Mm -hmm. Ooh, yes. Tennessee has only beaten Florida once since 2005. That town will be ready to explode that weekend. If you if you want to party, if Tennessee beats Pitt, Knoxville, and go to Knoxville Thursday and Friday before they play Florida, it will be the best party of your life. Okay, I, this yeah. this actually might be a good segue because we haven't asked about barbecue yet. Uh, I I'm in Louisville, Kentucky right now, but uh, my wife's in Sarasota, Florida. We're probably going to make the move down soon, and we're always on I-75 headed south. We always stop at uh, what is it, Archer? Uh, what's that exit called? Archer, Archer Road. Road in Gainesville. Archer, yes, exit three eighty four. Yes, thank you. We stop there, let the dogs out, let the kids move around a little bit. Where's a good barbecue spot in that range or in Gainesville area that uh, I have to stop at? I, I say this as a Gainesville resident, bad barbecue town. Ooh, bar the best, bad barbecue, the best town? barbecue in Gainesville is a, is a branch of a chain out of Orlando called Four Rivers. Uh, Four Rivers Smokehouse started on Lee Road in Orlando, or no, yeah, Fairbanks in Orlando. Uh, but it it is, it's very good. It's it's probably the the best chain barbecue in the southeast but that's that's about the best we got but really? if you're on 75 you're going through atlanta you're going oh, by definitely. where the braves play that yep. means you're going to heirloom market heirloom mm -hmm. market is a kind of korean scented barbecue place mm -hmm. uh the the chef pitmaster she was actually a pop star as a teen in korea and Dope. it's spectacular it's outstanding um also in atlanta you got brian Furman barbecue he, he used to have a place called bees crackling it burned down uh they they tried to re reopen it in, in a different place but brian is is a rock star pit master so that's that's another one to think about what's um, the name of that restaurant the second that one? brian brian Furman barbecue brian um, Furman barbecue but heirloom market is the one by the brave stadium that that is is awesome mm. Thank now, you, sir. Let me give you a if you're not going barbecue, here's a here's an interesting one. Tifton, Georgia. I gotta find the name of this place. Yeah, and it for anyone like that's unfamiliar, Andy Staples, I mean, is the foremost expert on this. Andy, you wrote an article in 2020 that was a 300 uh 300 restaurant long list of places to go around the country. Is that number higher now? Are you near 400 as far as your restaurant lists? No, because the pandemic kind of did a number on that and and took took a lot of those places out and mm. I didn't get to travel that much so I'm excited to kind of refill that but but so I, I would give you one in Tifton Georgia this is not barbecue this is burgers so the the place is called Espresso Forty One which sounds like a coffee shop and they do have good coffee but they have incredible burgers mm -hmm. and it's basically wow. a, a renovated gas station I want to say it's Exit Sixty Three in Georgia uh, everybody stops at Exit Sixty Two in Tifton because it's the last Starbucks before Valdosta. There's a Logan's Roadhouse. There's a Panera Bread. I'm there's familiar. a Chick-fil-A. A Chick-fil-A once where I saw one of the craziest police chases I've ever seen with a car that 
a tire had been ripped off. The guy was driving on the rim like 75 miles an hour through the Chick-fil-A parking lot with police chasing him. It was Stop. amazing. It's but, different in Georgia. <laughs> but much quieter in Espresso 41 where they just have delicious burgers and coffee. Wow. Man. Thank you. You you want range, ladies and gentlemen? Well, I, Andy I'm, Staples I'm has sad range. for you, Brandon, because at uh, in Sarasota, they used to have a good place called Roadside Rib Shack that uh that has oh, since succumbed yeah. so yeah. but but it's all right you 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 will have plenty of options down there have you ever had amish fried chicken absolutely i have we had our we had our uh mike can speak for this he was in my wedding uh we had our breakfast brunch before the wedding at their dutchman's in the amish neighborhood well, then, in sarasota then you're gonna love yoder's in bradenton florida so Ooh, yoder's okay. has fried chicken pies it is like this little tiny Amish community just dropped into God's waiting room there in, on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Man, <laughs> if, if there's I anyone think, I, I trust their way around the kitchen, so. it's the Amish. Yes, yes. Ask ask everyone in uh ask everyone in Philly about pretzels and uh, Amish pretzels. They, they oh man, you go to the Reading Terminal Market and let the Amish cook. They are well, they and, are and, ready. And, and if you have Philly experience, you'll you'll appreciate that Wawa has now taken over Florida. Yes, yes, yes. Wawa, Wawa understood that there was a dearth of quality gas stations in the state of Florida and just was like, nope, we're going to take we're going to fix that. And good for them. I'm a sheets guy. I like the sheets. Wawa like a, a debate, mm -hmm. but because uh, I like my hot foods. But Wawa's Wawa's the goat. Let's be real. Well, I I like I actually liked sheets better initially first because that was the first one I was exposed to in the rivalry right and I do love that that little kiosk at sheets at three in the morning when you order a chili dog is going to be like do you want jalapenos on this yeah you yes do. <laughs> and you say yes <laughs> uh but I think both of them are spectacular uh Bucky's for those who who've traveled through Texas now in Florida and Georgia and Alabama yeah uh, I, I went to the one in uh just near Fort Valley Georgia last week uh, they're still treating it like a tourist attraction, so you got to be a little careful. It's very crowded. It's not like when you go to one in Texas where they just they've now learned to live with Bucky's. Uh, but it is great uh, for those who've never had the pleasure. Imagine a gas station the size of a Walmart. Yes. No. No notes. As someone who just did a cross country drive from Connecticut to Los Angeles here, Bucky's was a big help and can confirm it is an awe inspiring experience for the first timers and the uninitiated. It was uh, a true joy. As was your appearance on this podcast. Andy, we appreciate all the time, man. This was awesome. People are going to feel ready for football season. Everyone, make sure you check out the Andy Staples Show podcast. Obviously, read Andy over at The Athletic. We appreciate it, brother. Thank you, guys. Thank you again to our friend, Andy Staples. Make sure you read him over at The Athletic. Check him out, the Andy Staples Show podcast. Great stuff from him, as always. He is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to in regular rotation, an awesome Twitter follow, and just in general, very good guy who we always appreciate around these parts. Uh, Brandon, yes, we've, well, we've became real friends uh, since the podcast, texting back and forth. Uh, can't wait to link up with him. Yeah, that is true. Actual friendships born out of podcasting, which should be the goal of all of this here. Amen. We, we said at the beginning of this, we want to introduce you to our friends. And sometimes we're introducing us to our friends in an even deeper way. Wrap your mind around that for a second. We'll fuck Ooh. you up real quick. We'll fuck you up Damn, real quick. Damn, bacon wrapped. Ba we love a good bacon wrapping here. <laughs> Brandon, you know what else we love around here? Dr. Meal Nutrition. 
our yes. friends that support this podcast. We appreciate them. As always, the great Stu Gotts once said, support the people that support us. We really appreciate them being on board and rocking with us here. Uh, Dr. Meal, we've told you, they want to make your healthy lifestyle just that. Something you do all the time. Something that makes you feel better. Not just someday, but every day as you're trying to. And we all do it. Have a goal in mind for what we want to be down the road when we start these health and fitness journeys, health and wellness journeys. This is about focusing more on that process and the journey day to day because we know as athletes, that's what sports is. You got to focus on the air in front of your face here so you can eventually get to where you want to go. That's why Dr. Emil handcrafted this journey for himself and now wants to share it with you here. I always mention, I've been getting back in the gym. I've been humbled by some of the young meatheads in the gym. Like it okay. is, It's really heartwarming to be around like jack people doing jack stuff again. It, yeah. It's cool to see. But Body's I also, bouncing back. But I also know that's not me anymore. I put a bar on my back the other day and almost yanked like three muscles in my back. I don't need mm-hmm. to go at Mach 12. Any, or I don't even know how the Mach system works. I'm going to make that number yeah. wrong and get checked by airplane Twitter. Um, <laughs> but I will say, like, I don't need to go that hard anymore, which is great because their pre-workout gives you a great edge, gives you a great boost, but I'm not jittery. I'm not shaking going into the gym. I don't need that anymore. I'm there to get a good work in. Get myself right. You can do that. The easy-dose sleep support is obviously great for the recovery portion of all these things. Dr. Emil's array of natural, high-quality supplements were all hand-selected to enhance each aspect of your personal wellness journey. So visit DrEmilNutrition.com and use the discount code GOJO20, that's G-O-J-O-2-0, for 20% off plus free shipping on all orders. Again, that's Dr. Emil, spelled D-R-E-M-I-L, Nutrition.com. Now, Brandon, do you know what time it is? I always want to hear you say this, that, and the third. Tell me why. This, that, and the third. Tell me why. This, that, and the third. Cause I want this, that, and the third. Damn. God, you know I'm a sucker for boy band shit. You know it. I, uh, you know I know. It. I sh- I, but I also know you, I should have saved it for a Friday. I just wanted to wet your whistle a little bit because I have not given my boys, the Backstreet Boys, the love and respect that they deserve on this podcast just yet. Uh, my middle school or my second grade teacher was cousins to Brian and Kevin. I don't know if you guys know, they're from Lexington, Kentucky, and they came through the, the, through the elementary school one time right at the height of the, back, of the boy band wars. So I was team Backstreet Boys. Basically until, you know, JT left. You know, I was quietly dancing to my uh, girlfriends and other instincts all gone. But I'm, I was team Backstreet Boys. Oh, man, yeah. Millennium is an absolute triumph of an album here. It was BSB all day on this side. I respect what NSYNC <laughs> did. But that didn't mean I had to rock with them like that. And Backstreet Boys still makes some of the most karaoke songs of all time. And just in general, bops that feel good when you throw them on the car. 
You referenced it like, I love this boy band stuff. When I was doing morning drive from 4 to 6 a.m. Eastern, I used to have boy band Fridays, get people hype in the car on their way to the gym or work or whatever. At some point, we love to try and figure out how to do that. I don't understand necessarily how the right stuff works with songs. And so we're not going to get ourselves sued by anybody. Nope. So we're going to keep not yet. that moving. And instead, we're just going to have Brandon sing. And so remember, download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell Brandon how much you like that stuff because he does enjoy the compliments and I enjoy reading them too. Um, That being said, Brandon, let's get to this because um, this is now August 2nd. The uh, MLB trade deadline is here and we saw the effects of that taking place yesterday. So we had in baseball a... Three-team trade involving the Houston Astros, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Boston Red Sox. The Astros acquired Trey Mancini, Notre Dame's very own, from the Baltimore Orioles, as well as catcher Christian Vasquez from the Boston Red Sox. Now, what made the Vasquez signing very odd was that we saw it take place in the middle of batting practice as the Red Sox were getting set to play the Houston Astros. Now, Vasquez is down at during batting practice outside of the dugout and is approached by a bunch of reporters that essentially asked him about being traded and about this moment and what it was like dealing with all this. And Brandon, you saw the look on his face. It it was, eyes were glassed over. Like I couldn't tell if he was almost on the verge of tears or if he was just sort of shell-shocked by how quickly this happened. But Mm. it was insane to watch play out in real time. And we've heard stories about this. I've heard of guys finding out they're getting traded on the elliptical from the bottom line, from Twitter. We see it all the time, but man, just seeing, and this is so much of like hard knocks we talked about the other day. People having to reckon with watching guys get cut. Watching this guy get the news that he was getting traded in real time was heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, especially, I don't know what it's like to be uh, on a team at this long, but I imagine right at the trade deadline, You're kind of, even if you're, because he was in talks before about, you know, possibly getting moved. But when you get closer to that date, you kind of get a little comfortable, I imagine. And I feel feel bad for him. I I do like the fact that he, you know, he could see his, the team he's going to go, go, the dugout was kind of, you know, right right across. On the other side (laughs) of the stadium. (laughs) On the other side of home plate. He could have (laughs) just... went over there it's a short ride for the form so i do kind of like it but you you do hate to see this for for uh for for players but i mean shit this is also the business it's definitely the business but like man he literally was sitting there being asked about this and then red sox pr comes to, to whisk him away from the media that's asking him and you're he was asked about it and he said just what you said he says it's business and sort of just seemed like he was having difficulty understandably wrapping his mind around this all happening the way it did. Like, we all like to imagine, again, we talk about like a professional courtesy of not letting a guy get all the way out to the field if this is going to happen. Like, if you know it's going to happen, hold him in the locker room. Tell him not to come to the stadium that day. Do anything other than what you did right here where we essentially shuffled deck chairs on the Titanic from one side to the other. Yeah, and also, it sucks that it's, Someone like, I don't know, you hate to see someone playing well get dealt, but that's, 
why you get dealt like you got to get moved for pieces so it's an audition this entire time like we're going to be talking about this a lot once the nfl season preseason comes and you know the last three weeks are all we're watching all guys that are auditioning for other teams and probably the team that they're playing a lot of times no, and that's absolutely true. You're right. Like a lot of these things are accepted parts of the business, but moments like this are just so jarring again when we're forced to see them in a light of day and remember that like this doesn't feel normal as much as we've normalized a lot of this stuff. And you and I have spent a lifetime around all these things. And even I was sitting in this like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening to this guy in that moment. So Again, that's one of the moves made. A lot of moves flying fast and furious around the deadline. We'll keep you updated as more continue to come forward. Um, Brandon, before we get to that, though, want to remind you to make sure that you also get yourself some dope shades to hide your eyes when you have been suddenly traded to a team, even though there might have been some inkling, and you don't want to see him catch you slipping. Because I'll never forget Brandon being on the sideline of the national title game, getting our teeth stomped in by Alabama, and thinking to myself, do not even think about getting emotional anywhere near a camera Ooh. because I am not going to be running a college football reel or a melt put together before college game day. Not oh, here, man, not now, not ever. So I, in that moment, had to rely on willpower. You can rely on sunglasses if you don't want to see people having you uh, cry in public. Knockaround's got polarized sunglasses that cost about $30 a pair. They ship fast, so you can get them there as you're getting emotional. They've got 15 different frames, a ton of different colors here. I've got a ton of variety of these. They're so much fun to mix and match. I had one of my friends, hi Carly, if you're listening today, literally pull a pair of them off my face because she had liked how they looked so much she wanted them on her face. I would encourage the rest of Play. you to just go to the website and order them because, again, they're very affordable sunglasses and you don't want to steal from people. They have over a billion combinations. You can check them out. Lightweight, great clarity, a rubber nose so you don't have a slip slide or bounce. Knockaround sunglasses are high quality polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price. Check out their huge range of shades at knockaround.com. And Brandon, um, you can buy a lot of knockaround shades with the money that was offered to Tiger Woods. Woo. Because Greg Norman confirmed to Tucker Carlson that Liv offered yeah. Tiger Woods somewhere in the range of 700 to $800 million to join their tour. And we know, based on the figures that we've heard, $200 million for Phil, you know, 120 for, 125 for Dustin Johnson, all of that adds up to Tiger Woods and his known value. Like, that makes sense. And I can also understand why Tiger turned this down. Like, he doesn't need this. He's a guy whose legacy has been so tied to that pursuit of Jack Nicklaus's major record, his major championships, like what that means. Tiger has been the PGA Tour for the entirety of my golf lifetime. So I never thought there was a world where he would take that jump, but we see more and more of these guys here starting to hear stuff about Bubba Watson. Like anyone who's won or been around a major who now can't play golf nearly as well, maybe like a decade removed from that, seems to be more than happy to line up and take a bunch of this money. Yeah, now I'm sitting here thinking how much, and I don't know if it's strong enough to say, is it strong enough to say this is terrorist money? Um, A lot of people have thrown that out there. Like, it is definitely, I mean, conflict money, blood money, whatever you want to throw okay, on it. Like, conflict it money. Is, it, is, it is money, and again, we 
This is what the conversation has been the whole time. It is money spent for the express purpose by the Saudi royal family of making people associate them with sports teams. And this is not the only place that they've invested in. We've talked about investments in European soccer clubs, investments in businesses in the United States made by this fund they've got that's literally here to make you think better of them so that you ignore all of the human rights violations that have gone on there. That's, That's what this is all about. So I'm just I'm just thinking about what my number is, Mike. Well, I think that's kind of Brandon been the whole thing with this is we see a lot of these guys who are offered unbelievable life changing sums of money. And we all sit here and think, yeah, we'd like to all believe that we're not, you know, going to go and take money from a source that we know is bad. But we've also heard the argument from plenty of people that. The world is littered with money that is tied to sources that we would probably not like if we saw it in the light of day. True, we just were true. presented with this right at the onset of it, Brandon. Like I'd have been fascinated to see how this whole conversation around Liv went if the first entry point to it wasn't Phil Mickelson's on-the-record, off-record compl- uh, 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 comments about the atrocities committed and their horrible record with human rights and that as our entry point into this versus the way this goes in almost every other walk of life. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Tiger has enough money that he can turn down uh, some of that, of that uh, sort, but if they were going to give Tiger 800 mil, and Phil got 200 mil. I'm thinking they got about 800 mil to play with with these golfers that don't nobody really want to go see play. So I'm giving them five years. I know I keep, every time we talk about live, I just, I just talk, trying to put the expiration date on it, but about five years. Yeah, it's again. I, I now they're talking about merging. Now they're having real conversations about what a merger will look like. Yeah, and how the PGA continues to react to this, we've already seen. They've already gone out and changed some of the way they're going to operate this coming fall. It is having an effect, but we know that effect won't be Tiger Woods joining the Live Tour anytime soon. And Brandon, why don't we round this out with the third, which is more money. We've gotten back to valuation period, folks, and the Dallas Cowboys are now the most valuable franchise in football and across all of sports. At $7.64 billion, they're now $630 million ahead of the Yankees, which uh, rank the highest up here. Uh, The top valuations would have, in the NFL, the Cowboys at number one, the Rams at number two, which is a spot over last year, the Patriots at number three, the Giants at four, and the 49ers at five. (coughs) Wow. The Giants at four? Like, I was going to say... That once, and I got, I got, I'll take this take. I took this take from Joy Taylor. She said, as soon as Jerry Jones got in the Hall of Fame, the Cowboys are never going to win another Super Bowl. He's good because what's the purpose and what's the point? And if they are that, at this price point, that makes me feel like they're definitely not chasing Super Bowls. But the fact that the Rams are number two, Former Super Bowl winners, and they just got their Jerry Dome now, out there, out there in Southern California. And then the Giants, shitty ass Giants, are sitting at number four. This is just about name power. Well, I will say this, and we've seen this in the world of college football when we've talked about realignment. Like people are talking about North Carolina and Florida State as valuable teams to add to this because right. it is about your name, brand value, and your portfolio. Brandon, those are of NFL teams here. Looking at the top ten most valuable U.S. sports franchises here. 
I was a little surprised at a few things because when you look at the top five, the Dallas Cowboys, as we mentioned, are number one. They are ahead of the New York Yankees that are number two. Number three and the four in the top five are both NBA teams. The New York Knicks are at number three, and the Golden State Warriors are at number four. Okay. So you have got, in the top ten, you have got two baseball teams, the Yankees at number two and the Red Sox at number ten. You have got five football teams, Cowboys at one, Rams, New England, and Giants at five, six, and seven, and the Niners at nine. And then you've got three basketball teams. We mentioned the Knicks and the Golden State Warriors at three and four. Let me say, Bulls. No. Lakers. Yeah, Lakers. Lakers sit at number eight there with a $5.63 billion valuation. So I just thought it was interesting that of the top five, only two of the top five most valuable sports franchises in North America are NFL teams. We know the NFL's might is unquestioned when it comes to TV ratings or anything else. They have been one of the few spots in entertainment to really hold even close to steady over the last few years where we've seen almost universal decline. But as far as valuable, the New York freaking Knicks still sitting up at number three is just an incredible testament to what you said. It's just about how bad we all want to go crush up and snort the garden. Like, that place is just so electric. And people want so badly for that to be a basketball town that they will continue to drive. Like, that's why... At the end of the day, when we all ask James Dolan to be different or to do things or to be better, he's looking at everyone and saying, for who? For what? My checkbook is still loaded. No, I understand the Knicks. I don't understand the Giants. Like, I feel like the people who are alive to see Lawrence Taylor, I feel like that money's drying out, ain't it? I mean, I just think the Giants are like one of the, like, history franchises of the NFL. They're in the major media market. They've been the team that's not the Jets, which is always an important thing to do because when you have the opportunity to not be the Jets, you should usually not be the Jets. So that one actually makes a fair amount of sense to me. Yeah. Super Bowls in the last 20 years. They had a Super Bowl location in the last 10. Was it uh, probably the last 15? Yep. Okay. So it's... It's definitely been there, but again, it's just a reminder that every time, every time we get into these arguments where the owners don't want to do something for the players and people argue on behalf of the billionaires, I'll never understand it because look how much money they have. Why would you want that to just continue to sit in their coffers? I don't know. Like Again, you got a team like the Knicks with all the money in the world who won't go out there and do right by your fan base and do the things that you want. Not all these people. In fact, most of these people don't give a shit about what you want. That's just the way it is. But... Brandon, that's not the note we want to end on. We want to end on a note of gratitude on this podcast. And thank everyone who made it this far, who listened to this whole podcast. Continue to download, subscribe, rate, and review. Again, we'll have another round of college football conference previews next week. We will have NFL division previews coming up over the course of the rest of this week. We might even have a lazy river ride thrown in there. It's going to be great. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.